Good morning, church. I love one of the songs. I love all the songs that we're singing this morning. But uh, isn't it good to hear this is my father's world? That one phrase gets me all the time. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Are you glad? God reigns. We have a reason to be glad. And I like how some of you said all the time. (laughs) Because that's the truth, isn't it? Let's try that. God reigns all the time. And all the time, that's why he's good. All the time. I'm seeing where you guys are at. We're getting a, getting a sense. You have a little too much uh, tofu turkey this Sabbath or something, or turkey, or I don't, I'm not sure what you had. But uh, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, I know my family and I did as we gathered around the table and had uh, a couple of my sisters here in town and, uh, and their kids and... And uh, I thought about self-control for about that long. <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I just took one of everything, so I did pretty good self-control. Just one of everything, and then at dessert, someone asked me if I only had one piece of pie. I said I had three slices of three different things that equaled one size of pie. So that's self-control, isn't it? <laughs> In a weird sort of way. Thank you. <laughs> That's, uh, but no, I, I get the joy of preaching on self-control today. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. When we were sitting around the table at staff meeting, we talked about the series. And I asked, all right, you know, who would like to take what? And, and nobody wanted to take self-control. And so I got to step up to that one and, and get to do that one. But uh, I assure you today, I'm not going to lay a heavy burden on you because I am no one who deserves to be up here to pontificate about self-control in different areas, that's for sure. But I will testify that God is good, and I praise God this morning because he hasn't left me where he found me a lot of years ago, and that by his grace, I have grown, as I'm sure you have, in areas of your life that sometimes you look back and go, wow, I don't do that anymore. Wow, thank God for his grace in my life and his goodness. And it's wonderful to watch the Spirit work in our life. But we thought it would be fun to uh, talk about self-control the, the, the Sabbath after Thanksgiving. And as we look at going into the holidays and shopping and all that fun stuff that happens, uh, looks like you all survived Black Friday, okay? At least you're here uh, today, so that's good. Um, I tried to practice this Thanksgiving, um, a rule that Miss Piggy practices when she eats. And she said, never eat more than you can lift. And uh, so I tried to practice that. (laughs) And uh, I came out okay. I was amazed. I guess I shouldn't be amazed, but I was amazed at how early the stores were opening this Black Friday. Do you see how early they were opening? Midnight. Some of them on Thursday night. We, uh, my family and I went to, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, to Ontario Mills. Um, We've experienced that for the first time. I'm not sure I'm going back, but, <laughs> but uh, we went and I saw the big sign that some of the stores were going to be open at midnight on Thanksgiving. Oh, wow, our, our need, our need to consume, you know, our need to get the stuff. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. This whole self-control thing, you know, we, see, we just battle. It seems like there's this wrestling match between needs and wants. You ever go there? Um, I've been blessed by a wife who, who has been gracious to help me, somewhere I saw her sitting here, help me try to learn the difference between my needs and my wants. 
You know, like when I go into some of my favorite music stores and I see all these wonderful guitars hanging on the wall and they all need to come home with me. <laughs> they all need a loving, you know, person to play them and to care for them. And, and she helps me discover that those are wants. They're not necessarily needs. Um, but it's a tug of war we find our, ourselves in. Someone once said, I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. That might be a good rule of thumb, I guess, but maybe not. But we wrestle with different areas of self-control, right? We could all confess this morning. There are areas in our life that we wrestle with self-control, whether it's that cookie, you know, the big ones and the chocolate chips, and, uh, or if it's, if it's a piece of clothing, or, or maybe it's, it's anger. Maybe it's, who knows? There's all kinds of different things. I was um, in a shopping center a couple weeks ago, and it was packed. And I was looking for a parking spot. You know, you drive all around. There's no parking spots. And, and I come down the aisle, and on the aisle going this way, this gentleman was, was backing out. So I said, oh, perfect. You know, I'll just go right there. And I just sat there and waited patiently, trying to practice the fruits of the Spirit. And I was sitting there, and he was backing out. And just as I was, like, wanting to go forward, I'd been waiting. Nobody else had been there. It was my right to the parking space. <clears throat> you can see I have issues a little bit. And here comes this gentleman down this aisle, did the full pull, whoom, right in. And I sat there, and luckily my wife was with me. She said, John, <laughs> he probably didn't even see you. And I went, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> okay, you're probably right. Maybe he didn't. But, you know, have you ever been in that situation? And you know that feeling you have. That was mine. That was mine. I was waiting all that time. There was no one else. It was mine. And somebody else comes and stags it. Luckily, God was being gracious in my life, and I just went on and found another space. It helped to have an accountability partner next to me who was going to make sure that I behaved properly. But it seems, again, as someone else has said, opportunity may knock only once, but temptation seems to lean on the doorbell. Just seems to lean on that and press us, and we're tempted to kind of lose control every once in a while. Well, we know the key to ultimate, and I want to say progressive, you need to remember that it's a trip. The key to ultimate self control is being filled with God's presence, being filled with the Spirit of God. That's what we're talking about in this series, isn't it? The Spirit cultivated life, a life that the Spirit cultivates that the Spirit fills and that the Spirit bears fruit in. That's how self-control develops. I was drawn to a passage in the Scriptures, in the Gospel narratives, that maybe at first might not seem like it deals with uh, self-control, but, but it deals with, with something very key to self-control. And I want to just draw on that if I can this morning. It's from John chapter 4. And it's that story that maybe some of us know pretty well about a woman at a well who meets Jesus. And she goes to the well like she commonly had around noon during the day when no one else is around. And she finds Jesus there. Jesus is sitting there. He's sitting just by himself. His disciples had gone on to look for some food. And it says that Jesus asked her for a drink of water. It says in verse 7, I'll pick it up. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Can you imagine just a normal day in your life? It's noon, bright sun, you're going about your normal duty, and you run into Jesus. Not just a Jew, not just a man, but you run into Jesus. And he begins this dialogue with you about water. And he says to you, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water, what is that? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now that was a conversation. That was something she hadn't expected or planned on in her day, running into Jesus. And Jesus starts talking about this water that's going to well up from within you and become a spring of water for eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then it's interesting. He says to her next, Go, call your husband and come back. What does that have to do with water? What does that have to do with getting this, this water and, and quenching my thirst and, and, and drinking? Call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then I love her next line. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> Don't you just love that response? It's like, okay, how do I get out of this one? <laughs> how do I change the subject? I can see that you're a prophet. And then she goes into this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where uh, we must worship is in Jerusalem. And they get in this great theological discussion about worship. What does that have to do with what they're talking about? She's just trying to avoid. And then she says in verse 25, after this talk on worship, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus cuts her off at the pass and he says, I who speak to you am he. Boom. I who speak to you am he. Wow. And the story goes on. The disciples <clears throat> return. <clears throat> Excuse me. I love Jesus. I love how he shows up in our life. And he wants to deal with the real issues. He wants to deal with the real stuff that matters. And he comes to us sometimes in the middle of our day when we're least expecting it. And he talks to us and he says, <clears throat> Can I help you out? Can, I, can we talk about that thing in the middle of your heart that, that, that you, you might be wrestling with that, that you really need me to fill? Can I give you some living water? And, and sometimes we look at God and we say, you know, God, I know, I know you can deal with a lot of things, but this issue in my life right now, it requires a very deep well, and you don't even have a bucket to draw with. And he says, no, no, no. Let me give you the living water. 
Let me give you the stuff of life that only comes from my kingdom and it only comes from my spirit that you will never thirst again. That's where self-control comes. Self-control has everything to do with being content with God, with being content with his reign, with being content with his presence and his power. Jesus went on in John chapter 7 to talk about this water a little bit more. He said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. If anyone thirsts, he said, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did you hear Crystal when she sang? Miracles still happen if you what? If you believe. Believe in what? The miracle? You believe in Jesus. You believe in who he said he was. You believe that he really is the answer to our lives. That everything he had to say about life is really the truth about life. That everything our world is saying about life so often in time is not the truth about life. The truth about life is found in Jesus Christ and his spirit in our life. And we allow God to fill us with his presence. You see, one of the challenges we have in this life, when we face various, various situations in our life, is you may not consciously think this, and I don't, but I catch myself in it. And that is sometimes we make the mistake of allowing humanity to be the ultimate point of reference for life. Our human power, what we're able to do. Everything Jesus had to say to the woman at the well that day was about everything she could not do for herself. It was what he wanted to do in her life. That is where the fulfillment comes. That's where the miracles happen. What greater miracle could there possibly be than to be filled with the Spirit of God in my being. We look to other things, healings and all kinds of different things, but there's nothing greater than being filled with the presence, the Spirit of God in our very being. I like what an Italian poet said once. Antonio Porcia, he says, I have been my own disciple and my own master, and I've been a good disciple but a bad master. You know, someone else also said, our body makes a good slave, but a terrible master. When we look at the things we wrestle with in this life, I don't know what your areas that you struggle with with self-control. I know some of my own areas. And I know that I've been a terrible master at trying to conquer those areas. But I'm thankful that because of Jesus Christ, I'm not left to my own mastery. Because of Jesus Christ, I get to enter the kingdom of God and get mastered by Jesus himself. I get to live under his sovereignty and under his mentoring and tutorage as the master teacher, and I get to allow him to master me, to transform me and to change my ways 
by living in his presence. That's what it kind of means when Jesus talks about, remember in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear what? Much fruit. One of those fruits is self-control. Self-control. The temptation I get into when I want to be out of control and act out of control, really, when I break it down, is, is a situation where I think God cannot handle this situation. I'm going to have to take it into my own hands. And in order for that to happen, maybe I've got to get really angry. Maybe I have to do this because, because what God has in his kingdom isn't going to be enough for this situation. You see, that's when we lose control. We have self-control when we know God reigns all the time. And he's sufficient for every situation. That he has a bucket that can go deep enough to draw the water deep enough to fill what that situation needs. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. You see, it's a spirit working in us. It's the spirit-filled life. It's the spirit-cultivated life. Galatians 5, 16 through 17, going back to our original passage where this all comes from, it says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. And verse 25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. You see, the joy we have in this life is that we get to walk in the Spirit. We get to walk with God. We get to be with Him. And in being with Him, we become changed. Now, let me just talk about something here. The word disciple has everything to do with the word discipline. Does it not? When you talk about discipline, it has something to do with discipleship. Now, unfortunately, the word discipline has kind of taken on a negative meaning in our world, right? If you do that, we're going to what? We're going to discipline you. <laughs> but discipline is a great word. It's a wonderful word. When Jesus said, come follow me, calling them into discipleship, he was calling them to live under his discipline of teaching them. A disciple is a student who has a teacher. And whether we realize it or not in this life, all of us are disciples the question is, as a human being, who's discipling me? We're all being mastered in some way or another. The things we read, the things we watch, the, way, the people we hang out with, all the things that we do, we're all being mastered. The good news is that Jesus came was that we could choose who our master is, and we can choose the best master of all and be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus calls us and invites us to a very religious life. Now, there's another word I want to talk about. Sometimes people talk about being religious as a very negative thing. And I think it's funny because we're all very religious people. If you could walk with me in my day or I could walk with you in your day, we could tell each other what we're very religious about. Some of us are very religious about Starbucks coffee. Some of us are very religious about not drinking Starbucks coffee. Some of us are religious about always eating some type of dessert. Some of us are very religious about exactly when we eat our meals. Some of us are religious, hopefully, about going to work. 
We're religious about different things. Some people are very religious about not being religious. We're religious. Whatever you do faithfully, whatever you're committed to, and it's usually the things that we don't even know, we're not even conscious or kind of aware of, we're very religious about those things. You see, Jesus wants us to walk with him in a very religious way, a very consistent, a very real way of coming to him all the time and letting him shape us, form us, fill us with his spirit, connecting to the vine so that much fruit can be born in us. If we don't rely on God, we'll rely on other things, other forms of power, our own power to come through for us. I've always liked a little story about the girl in Sabbath school. She was asked, they were talking about what a lie was. And they asked her, what is a lie? And she said this. She said, a lie is an abomination to God and a very present help in time of trouble. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? Why are lies told? Because I've got to get out of a situation. And really, why why do we do that? Because there's something in that situation where I'm like, oh, God's not going to be able to help me out with this one. I better pull it out myself and pull out that untruth, that little white lie that just kind of help makes it happen. If we don't get the power from God, if we don't get the fulfillment from God, we're going to get it from somewhere. And if it's not from God, it's a scary thing a scary thing to use and to rely on. When Jesus came, and part of his conversation with the woman at the well was all based out of this, when Jesus started his ministry, he proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. That word repent, we often think of, well, it means turn from your ways. But really, when you break it down, that word repent means Think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. Think about where I am and where I'm going, where I'm headed. Think about your thinking because the kingdom of God is now available. The kingdom of God is now available to be in your life, to reign your life, to fill your life with the fullness of God. As I mentioned before, there are areas in our life, we could all talk about dealing with self-control whether it's the food, um, whether it's um, emotions, whether it's how we act, all the different things. But I want to just touch on a little thing briefly. Because we're church folk. And my experience pastoring in the church uh, for the last so odd years, I've discovered something. And maybe you've discovered too. I have found that I would say almost nobody leaves the church for doctrinal reasons. Most people leave the church because of how they've been treated. Most people leave the church because they were criticized or judged unfairly. Um, Certain things were assumed about them and stated about them. That's not a place I would necessarily want to be either. An area, I think, in which we can always grow in the area of self-control, and it's possible because the Spirit of God is in his people. It's an area of maybe being careful on how we make assumptions and assessments about people's motives in areas of life. 
I'll just use this just because it's a simple example. But for instance, we have people who, who take time to prepare for us to worship God on Sabbath morning. Whether it's on the organ or the piano or the drums or the guitars or singing or the violin or whatever it is, telling the children's story, all those types of things. And it's always amazed me as a pastor in this conference since the late 80s how easy it is sometimes for people to assume that someone up front has wrong motives. You know, a comment made about, oh, this person was doing this and they couldn't be worshiping God. That's kind of hard to take sometimes. Because I believe, and I'm always going to believe, that anybody who does anything in the church, we're not all perfect, take that, but I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust that they're doing it for the Lord. And that whether they are or not, whether they're playing on the organ or getting the piano or anything else, and it's not for me to judge their heart. That's between them and God. But I'm going to receive what they've brought to the table on that day and allow it to draw me closer to God and enjoy God's presence in that. I like what happened one day after church. A mother and a daughter were leaving just after the church service, and there was a gentleman in the congregation who went outside and began smoking. The mother looked over at the daughter and says, I can't believe it. Mr. Jones, just out of church and already smoking. The daughter looked at her mother and said, Mom, I can't believe it, just out of church and already judging. <laughs> wow. Isn't that true sometimes? There are certain habits and hang-ups that we have. There are certain addictions that we all have, and some of them just seem to be a little bit more acceptable than others. But in God's eyes, he wants us to be full of him. That's what matters to him. No matter what it is, he wants us to be full of him. I had a gentleman one time who was visiting when I was pastoring in Escondido. And the sermon I was preaching was about how Jesus was talking to the religious leaders and how he couldn't do any works of grace in their presence because of their traditions. And I was talking about how sometimes we put God in a box and we don't let him move and because we say, God, you've got to work within our box. And if I read the Gospels correctly, God always comes in and he blows the box apart. And that frustrates us because we like our boxes and we like them a certain way. And I was back at the door shaking hands as people were coming and this gentleman came to me and he was busy. I didn't know who he was. And he came and, and he shook my hand. He says, next time you're up front, take off what's on the outside so we can see what's on the inside. I said, wow, that was a riddle. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, excuse me. He says, next time you're up front, take off what's on the outside so I can see what's on the inside. And I said, I'm sorry, I just do not understand what you're telling me. And he said, next time you're up front, take off your wedding ring because I couldn't hear a word you were saying. And I said, I go, oh, this? I said, I'm sorry, but I will never take this off. I said, this is a sign of me setting myself apart to my wife forever. And I made that vow before God. And I said, I'm sorry if it offended you, but this has everything to do with my relationship with God and my wife. And he got upset. And he says, well, I hope you tell that to God when he comes. <laughs> and I says, well, you know, I hate to tell you this, but he already knows. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't practice too much self-control that day. <laughs> but I was hoping, the sad part was, what he was talking about was the whole thing I just preached 30 minutes on. 
of not, God not doing a work in our life because of our traditions and because of our hang-ups. Aren't you glad God is bigger than us? Aren't you glad God is more gracious than us and forgiving and compassionate? But the good news is, in spite of our struggles with self-control, we can grow. And by God's grace, by his spirit in our life, fruit, the fruit of self-control will continue to grow in our life. And we will enjoy the spirit's control in our life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that one of the fruits you offer to us through your presence in our life is self-control. Because I have to admit, it'd be pretty scary to live a life without any self-control. Lord, going down that road is just a dead end. And sometimes, Lord, the message we hear in this world is that real freedom is not having self-control, being able to just do whatever you desire. Lord, thank you that your spirit comes into our life and saves us from ourselves and protects us from going down that dark road. And Lord, in fact, you will even transform us enough that what we desire are the things of your kingdom. So Lord, fill us with your self-control. Fill us with all your goodness. And thank you that you came to offer all of this to us. Would you take a minute now in silent prayer to just listen to the Spirit speak to your heart today? about his presence in your life and in your heart. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ and his grace be with your spirit. Amen.